0: Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and
1: Resource Management, Inc., From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business New Orleans style.
2: Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. I'm at Commander's Palace in the Garden District. This is Out to Lunch, the show where we talk about New Orleans business with folks who are New Orleans business. My guests today represent two New Orleans businesses that on the face of it, are vastly different, but actually have some interesting similarities. Scott Aegis is the Director of Programs, Marketing and Communications for the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation, the folks who own Jazz Fest. Uh, Scott, welcome out to lunch. Thank you very much. Boy, you say you own Jazz Fest. If you couldn't meet girls, something <laughs> like that. I, God help you, really. There's a, and Tom O'Keefe is the CEO and president of Smoothie King. Tom, thanks for being on Out to Lunch. Thanks, Peter. Pleasure to be here. I'm a big fan of your products. Uh, smoothie King is an international chain with over 600 stores across the U.S. and around the world. Uh, not only was Smoothie King born in New Orleans, actually in Kenner, uh, but the smoothie itself was born in New Orleans. Am I right about that, Tom? That's correct. Um,
3: Back when Steve Kuno started the company, he actually had emphasized the vitamin and supplement aspect of the business first and then um, created the smoothie more so um, as a a replacement or a meal alternative for someone who was suffering from um, allergies and things of that nature. And so he um, tinkered with different formulas and recipes and then landed on the smoothie. And then the smoothie actually became the more popular product. And so then they opened the business as Smoothie King. Prior to that, it was uh, town and country. Um, it was like a vitamin store. Oh. And then the popularity of the smoothie you know, dictated that they go and take the business in that direction, and that's how they launched.
2: And uh, Scott, did you know
4: that the smoothie was born in New Orleans? No idea, but I am curious. Did they also invent the daiquiri?
3: Um, they probably would say no, but I think if I was them, I'd take credit for
2: it. I would, too. <laughs> just, uh, just a year or two before the birth of the smoothie, the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival was born in Congo Square. Uh, like Smoothie King, Jazz Fest has grown up to be one of New Orleans' most successful businesses and a truly international brand. Uh, Scott, the business structure of the festival grew out of those earliest years. From the very beginning, the festival was set up by the Jazz and Heritage Foundation to be a non-profit operation. For the community Uh, the foundation which is still non-profit still owns the festival from the perspective of someone who is uh, one of those hundreds of thousands of people who's paying 65 dollars to get into the festival this year it would seem that there is quite a bit of profit Uh, could you just take a moment and explain how the festival is structured and and where does my 65 dollars (laughs) go
4: um to pay for all the year-round stuff that we do that's that, in a nutshell, that's it. So the, 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 it helps to understand the history of how all this happened. In the early 1960s, there were a group of New Orleans civic leaders, tourism leaders, hotel operators, tourism officials, and so on, who heard about this thing that was new in the world called a jazz festival and said, why don't we have one of those? So they called the man that started the Newport Jazz Festival in 56, which was the biggest and, and really the first outdoor music festival of its kind.
2: That's where Dylan went electric, right? Well, that was it's Newport Folk F- Festival, oh, New which Hall, was okay.
4: the sister, sister organization, <laughs> same entrepreneur. The guy's name is George Ween. And he uh, was a piano is a piano player from Boston, who op- in 1950 opened a jazz club in Boston called Storyville. So it had an affinity for New Orleans and had actually been through New Orleans as a touring musician many times over the years. So folks invited him to New Orleans to start a festival here, and it's quite a long story that he details in his autobiography, which is really a fascinating read. Uh, but th- the end result was that by 1970, after two years of failed attempts to start a festival on their own, the folks in New Orleans basically called George back and said, pretty please will you start us this festival? And he said, yes, I'll do it, but on a number of conditions. First one being that instead of being owned by myself as a for-profit enterprise, and he said at the time, I may live to regret that decision because I think it's going to generate some money, and he also said, it's not going to be owned by you folks, the city organization. It's going to be owned by a new nonprofit that will take the proceeds from this event that I predict one day will be very successful and plow them back into the community to continually promote this culture that some would say are, is on the verge of extinction. I don't happen to believe that, but that, you, you're familiar with that line of right. thinking. Uh, the second condition, of course, was that his company, Festival Productions Incorporated, would have a long-term contract to produce this festival for a fee. And that's what happened. And then he said, now somebody find me a college kid that knows how to find Professor Longhair and Mardi Gras Indians. And that ended up being Quint Davis, who went to work for George for Festival Productions and now runs the New Orleans Office of Festival Productions. And actually, George ended up selling his interest and effectively retired from that end of the business, although he's now back at Newport, Um, and, and Quint, remains the producer of Jazz Fest to this day, but the company that produces Jazz Fest is a separate company, a for-profit company called Festival Productions Incorporated, that Quint is the president and CEO. And uh, we are the Jazz and Heritage Foundation, so our role is not to produce the festival because that's what Quint and his team do, but fortunately they do a fantastic job and it generates significant surplus revenue, and so they have figured out a wonderful way to manage that business. And the festival is effectively our annual fundraiser, and so the proceeds from the festival come to the foundation and we use them for year-round programs in the areas of education, economic development, and cultural enrichment. Tell us where we'd see that. Well, let's see, the most uh, visible way you see that are in the concert series and festivals that we do throughout the year. So uh, we have four festivals, the Crescent City Blues and Barbecue Festival in Lafayette Square in October, the Treme Creole Gumbo Festival in November, which is in Armstrong Park, it's an all-brass band festival, Uh, the Louisiana Cajun Zydeco Festival in June at the Old U.S. Mint, also free to the public, and the Congo Square New World Rhythms Festival
2: in March, also in Congo Square. And so what funds that is Yes. but we know it's Jazz Fest.
4: Yes, so, so basically those are your Jazz Fest dollars at work. And we do a lot of other things. We have a free music school called the Heritage School of Music, which serves 85 students a week. We have a robust grants program. We give out $350,000 a year in grant funding. We have a lecture series called the Tom Den Congo Square Lecture Series. We um, have new programs that we've started, like this conference, this entertainment industry conference during Jazz Fest we do called Sync Up. We have a, a new program to support brass bands in the schools called Class Got Brass. We have, uh, we have, so we have a small year-round staff that manages all of the programs of the foundation. So I like to say that Quint's job is to make the money, and my job is to spend it. <laughs> and you know, I, I guess,
2: thank heavens it was structured the way it was
4: back then. Yeah, it was extremely uh, far-sighted. It was uh, and very generous to the community, and the number of things that, that are spin-offs from it are are really uh, it's hard it's hard to imagine. It, it's been
2: really great. Tom, Smoothie King is 40 years old. The understatement of the nearly half century would be that you were a little ahead of your time. Uh, The concept of eating fresh, local, and healthy, and now what is actually called juicing, is probably the biggest trend in food. We're used to saying New Orleans is the home of the cocktail, Mardi Gras, and Jazz Fest, but we don't seem to include healthy eating in our reasons for civic pride. How difficult is it to run a health-driven, multinational business out of a city whose ethics seems to be the complete opposite of your corporate mission? (laughs)
3: Well, I think it's not as difficult as it would sound, and principally because it's, the product speaks for itself. Um, we are told consistently uh, by consumers, uh, as recently as our, earlier this year we did uh, 6,000 interviews, um, three focus groups, three cities, with three groups in each city, and predominantly the message is we have the best product. And so once uh, we engage and we get the trial, um, we think that we then have uh, ambassadors for the brand. So, um, you would think on the surface that it, it is somewhat um, counterintuitive that New Orleans given, as one, as uh, Kim would say, uh, there's fat in the air here. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, but you know, seriously, there are so many, uh, there's, there's a true conscious drive to healthier alternatives and to be already in the marketplace offering a product that fits uh, exactly that category and, and that space and they have pioneered it, is, uh, it's terrific and we just see tremendous upside with it.
2: You know, on an earlier show we had John Elstraat, the uh, chairman of the board of Whole Food, and, which actually got its origins here, so right. maybe we should start thinking about health eating in New Orleans a little bit differently. And I, now, now, Tom, I, sometimes it's kind of a sensitive area, but uh, are, you about, are you planning to do an IPO, is that what I hear?
3: Well, the uh, the plan that Juan has laid out is uh, in five years t- is to do an IPO, and um, you know with that there's there are many elements that we must build into the business to establish the growth. So we're not close to that goal as we speak today, but what we are close to is identifying the different paths of growth that are going to get us there. So, by example, I look at it where from a, a domestic perspective. I've got what I call non-traditional development opportunities. So that would be uh, the malls, the airports, the colleges and universities, the military bases, um, hospitals. Then I look at um, domestic franchising. So we currently have in excess of 500 units, franchise units in the U.S. We think we can triple that number. We're then going to create a company store division domestically. Prior to one buying the business, uh, corporate only owned one location was, as a training center. And the so rest were franchised? All franchised. Okay. So we're going to create a company store division such that um, at any given time, we will have 20% of the system would be corporate owned and 80% would be franchised. And that enables us to do more um, testing and should enable us to go into uh, better real estate. Uh, maybe it's, it's more expensive. Maybe we can take that on at the company level rather than maybe a franchisee wouldn't be able to. Um, of course, we then would get 100% on the bottom Uh, line rather than just a percentage of the top. Um, Then looking internationally, uh, I see international corporate um, development because right now we have 60 units in Korea that Wan owned as a franchisee that now become corporate owned and then he has 60 units that are franchised in Korea. So we have dual paths internationally to grow the business. So, Juan was a large uh, owner
2: of of Smoothie King before. Yeah, the advantage
3: that we have, I think, in telling and selling our story is that Juan's been in the business for 10 years. So, he bought the rights to do um, what we call a master franchise agreement for the country of Korea. Because he was introduced to Smoothie King as a student in California.
2: And so. I would assume this is South Korea. I don't think there's a lot of Smoothie King. It is South (laughs) Korea.
3: Although the day is young. (laughs) But um, so he recognized um, the opportunity to bring you know, a a U.S. brand with a terrific product to that market, and he was right, he was absolutely right. And so um, he's spent 10 years developing that, and he then was so um, sure of of the business that he then bought the whole company. He now, he's moved here, he moved over the Christmas holiday. He bought
2: the company from? uh, From
3: Steve and Cinecuno, last July, and so uh, he's now here, full time. Uh, he and I just came back from an, uh, an Asian trip. We were in Seoul, Tokyo, and Singapore. And uh, seeing the, the concept and what he's done with it uh, in those markets tells me that um, there's more room for not just growth, but we can expand the menu because they've done food offerings and they've done coffees, teas, and things like that. And so when I look at the business and the international um, capacity, uh, I think, Eight to 10 years from now, we may well have more units outside the U.S. than inside the U.S.
2: Wow, now when I, when I travel around the country, I seem to see them, smoothie kings everywhere, but that's not quite true, right? There's a, uh, say there's, they are not they tend not to be in the north, for instance? We're currently
3: in 38 states, and if you were to take the map of the U.S., it almost does like a, a J curve, if you will, so w- it's not that we don't want to go into the um, the cooler climates, but we need to do it differently. So that's where the non traditional aspect comes in. Because colleges and universities, you know, we, if we get in those dining halls, it doesn't matter where they are. So we just have to think differently about the growth opportunities in those states. As it relates to just a typical retail facility, then yeah, we're going to stay
2: probably in the warmer climates to avoid the cyclical nature of the business. And Tommy, competition, is it like, a, I guess one name I see is I guess Jamba Juice. Uh, are they bigger than you or smaller than you? Or?
3: Um, they're bigger than us in terms of the unit count. Um, they have more corporate stores. They're, they're more of a, a balance between corporate and franchised. So from that perspective, they're bigger. Um, but from a product perspective, I would say they're secondary to us. So I feel like I have an advantage over them, even though they may have scale right now that, that I'm going to get to. I believe I got the better product. So if I have to take a trade, I'll take the product versus scale for right now because later I think I'm going to get the same scale and I've got the better
2: product. I think product wins at the end. I at think that's what they, the they say. It's uh, time to check our inbox. Uh, the producer, Grant Morris here, takes a question that's come in during the uh, during the week from a listener, Grant, what have you got?
1: Peter, we've got a whole bunch of questions, but I'm going to ask each of our guests a question from the same person, Angela Crimmins, who I think we should hire, actually. Seeing <laughs> she's pegged this one. Uh, first of all, for Tom, she says, uh, are there organic ingredients in the smoothies? If not, are there plans for organic and GMO-free fruit in the works, or would that hurt the bottom line too much?
3: Um, we actually are pipelining for this year um, a vegan and or a raw uh, product, so I think that would fit that nicely. Um, we are first going to do an energy smoothie that we're going to launch in June, which is all natural. Um, it's not going to be you know, co-branded with a Red Bull or anything like that. So it's a, it's a natural product. And then behind that will come the, the vegan or the raw. So tell her that uh, just a few months from now she should be able to find that product. Okay, Scott, great.
1: here's Angela Crimmins' question for you. It's about the future of music in New Orleans. Are there enough school programs to encourage New Orleans youths' interest in music and New Orleans culture?
4: Well, um, there are there enough school programs? Actually, we're very concerned as an organization about the lack of music and art education in the school system generally. And so we have a number of programs that we've created um, We have our our Heritage School of Music, which is a free music program. Uh, We also started a program last year called Class Got Brass that I mentioned earlier, which is a contest for high schools and middle schools that have marching bands to create traditional New Orleans style brass bands. And so we put up $30,000 worth of prize money for, for instruments for these schools' music programs if they compete in a traditional New Orleans second line parade. So we're doing a lot of stuff to try to encourage more music education in the schools. A lot of other organizations are trying to do the same thing, but we're all trying to
2: address the same problem, which is the lack of music and arts education in the school system generally. There's, uh, and it, now is our time. Uh, we call this our lunch money part of, the, part of the program where we ask our guests to come up with a stock pick. And then we put that together in a portfolio, our out-to-lunch uh, lunch money portfolio. Uh, of course, the markets have been doing very, very well. There's been some bumps along the way, but corporate earnings look good. Interest rates are uh, zero. And uh, these, are, uh, these are all positives in here. I'll, um, I'll start with uh, Tom. What stock do you have for us?
3: Uh, I just selected Darden Restaurants. And the reason that I did is um, when I was
2: at Roots, Chris, as uh, we talked about earlier, Garden is that see, I think of it as Red Lobster, Olive Garden, correct.
3: Uh, and I was very impressed with how they ran their business and how they messaged their business. I, I was impressed by the way they conducted themselves because they would give a very consistent message every time, and that was essentially that they were confident that they could and would produce competitive if not um, exceedingly competitive results in any environment.
2: And uh, ticker symbol is uh, DRI, sells around DRI. 50 bucks a share. Of, and Tom, I think if we have you back in a few years, you'll recommend Smoothie King, I think, because it'll be Absolutely a public company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott, what about yourself? What stock s- sticks out here? Um, an interesting stock that, that had
4: some, some interesting news last week is Pandora the Internet Music Radio Service. Uh, as you may know, they had an IPO a couple of years ago and raised an incredible amount of money, and then they've been struggling ever since, certainly in terms of their stock performance, and uh, so much so, in fact, that they, this past year, went in front of Congress trying to get the royalty boards to change the the, the mechanisms by, um, that, that calculate how much they have to pay to the rights holders of the music every time they broadcast it. And they created a tremendous, stir at the time and ultimately they were defeated in their effort because so many people thought that they just had not created a viable business model. Instead, they were trying to um, cushion their own fall on the backs of the songwriters and the musicians by taking money out of their pockets while meanwhile the, the owners had lined theirs after their very successful IPO even without the relief on royalties, they seem to be proving that their business model may actually work. So they're generating revenues and profits that way. Another thing that that contributed to their growth in in their earnings last week was rumors that Apple was once again being delayed in their effort to launch an internet radio service. But also, uh, even while Apple shares were getting battered last week on their own, uh, they also announced that they had reached deals with Universal Music Group and the Warner Music Group to establish a royalty structure for their still unnamed internet radio service.
2: And how did that affect Pandora, that that
4: agreement? Well, when when it looked like Apple was being slowed
2: down, Pandora went up. Wow. That is, uh, and Scott, you know, it it is Jazz Fest, so what are you going to be doing over the weekend?
4: Our role at the foundation is we produce an entertainment industry conference called SyncUp. So we have a lot of key leaders in digital media distribution. In fact, last year we had the founder of Pandora, Tim Westergren, as a keynoter. This year we have a lot of people coming to speak, uh, including the head of NPR Music, Anya Grunman, and and a lot of leaders in the field in digital music distribution. And we'll be talking about things like how to convert social media followers into customers and generate revenue from those types of sources. It's it's a, a lot of content geared toward independent musicians and independent artists. So that'll be at the New Orleans Museum of Art on the
2: mornings of the Friday and Saturday of both Jazz Fest weekends. That is good timing you've put together. Scott Aegis, Tom O'Keefe, you're both building international brands out of two very different parts of New Orleans. Jazz Fest is synonymous with the city and Smoothie King is almost the antithesis of the city, but it says a lot about the diversity and richness of New Orleans, of us as a people and of the business ecosystem that two such diverse enterprises born at the same time are both so successful. I'm really glad to have had this opportunity to meet you both and uh, and spend this time with uh, you today. Thanks so much for joining me on Out to Lunch.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Scott.
2: Thanks, Tom. My guests on Out to Lunch have been Scott Aegis, Director of Programs, Marketing, and Communications for the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation, and Tom O'Keefe, COO and President of Smoothie King. To find out more about Jazz Fest and Scott's Sync Up program and Tom's Smoothie King Empire, follow the links on our sites, www.no.org. And it's neworleans.com. The show is produced over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cleef Brigden. Uh, Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. On our website, itsneworleans.com, you can join our mailing list and keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to past shows and get this show as a podcast on itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Presonus Audio Electronics. Presonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, ARIS Studio Monitors and more. More information about Baton Rouge based Presonus is online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for NewOrleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy.
0: Bye bye. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.